This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located at 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And tonight, we are going to continue our coverage of Witchblade, starting with Witchblade Season 2, Episode 1. But before we get to Season 2, Episode 1, we're only doing one episode this week because of our guest, and also the Witchblade series has an odd number of episodes per season, so we're going to do the pilot episode for the season, and then continue on with the season proper as we continue it through, I think we're going into June um, when we finish it. On the show with us to talk about some of the intricacies misdemeanors, uh, flaws, and things that happen in television involving police procedural shows, even ones involving supernatural procedures, such as Witchblade or Grimm. Uh, Grimm is probably my favorite in terms of police procedural stuff, because they actually had a cop write episodes, or he was one of the showrunners for Grimm. And Grimm was about a detective in Portland who had ability to see people for what they really were, if they were some type of creature or something from Grimm fairy tales, which was really cool. And every episode was basically like, they had a cur- they had a case, they had to go solve it, he saw the person as an actual creature thingy, and they went and about on how to solve it. It was the gimmick of the show. Tonight on the show with us, we have from the New England Police Force, we have Ken, longtime friend of the show. He'd been on for a radio horror episode involving his massive collection of amazing uh, Star Wars uh, toys. So he is a he is a diehard geek himself, but he is also protecting us here in New England, especially during these uh, troublesome times during COVID-19, which we are still in quarantine at the time of this recording. If you're listening to this, hopefully in the future, we are no longer in quarantine. But thank you for coming on the show with us, Ken. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Ken, how long have you been involved with uh, police work? And you were, and before that, you were all also in the military? I've, uh, I've been a police officer for 15 years, uh, full-time. I was probably a part-time police officer for about six years before that. And I also worked at a, a state prison for five years. As far as my military, uh, uh, military police um, with the Army National Guard for 25 years. Wow. And counting, so. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your service. I appreciate that. Now, you are a diehard Star Wars fan. You're also a fan of uh, superhero stuff. Did being into comic book superhero stuff, like, you know, uh, uh, I think uh, the Kenner super toy line and stuff like that, did, did that influence you to want to become somebody in law enforcement? Because you're like, I don't have superpowers, but I can do something else? Yeah, I've always uh, had an interest. Um, some, one of the first things I really got into uh, when I was reading um, comics was uh, Batman. Ah. So it, 
always the uh, the good and evil always uh, fascinating me, and uh, so I, I I would say it, it definitely influ- influenced me a little bit. Could a vigilante like Batman actually work? That's tough to say. It it, it would work probably for a short period of time, uh, but with the technology today, uh, he would, they'd figure out who he was if they wanted to. There was a great post made saying that there are ten multi-billionaires on the planet Earth today. This was like back in like 2017, 2016, and not one of them has the courage to become Batman. <laughs> I've seen that post. That's such a great post. Yeah, it is. And that's not going to get political for anyone listening. It's just a funny post that there are ten multi-billionaires as rich as Bruce Wayne, and none of them have the courage or the body to become Batman. I <laughs> <laughs> watch uh, these cop dramas. What's the one thing that kind of grates on your nerves every time you see it? A lot of the things, like, well, obviously, uh, you know, in these cop dramas, uh, the crime always gets uh, solved in the one-hour episode, <laughs> <laughs> which is always great. Um, makes for good TV. It makes for good TV, but uh, it, it, that and, and even the technology used where they have these magical computer systems that get a fingerprint and it just within 30 seconds gives them these results and things like that. It's uh, it's really not as advanced as TV portrays it. Uh, how far advanced do you think it is? Is it like 2000s advanced, or is it more into, you know, late 90s? Are they uh, still running Windows XP? I think we're probably still 20 years away, or maybe maybe 10 years away from the technology they show in these cop dramas where, like I said, they, they get results, like, instantaneously. Like, to get to get DNA results and things like that, um, it, it can take months. So, wow. If uh, if if there was uh, you know a sexual assault or something like that, it could take months to get the results. Um, there are ways to push things forward if there's uh, extenuating circumstances, but it so, some of those things really do take months. There's a couple things that happened on this show that I ri- had written, I have been writing down over the course of uh, the, the 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 run of Witchblade. Now, Witchblade is a 2000 to 2002 cop supernatural drama, so they don't address uh, 9/11. They don't address anything like that because the show was airing or being filmed prior to the events of 9/11, and then around the time of a 9/11, and it was being filmed in Vancouver or wherever TBS or TNT films stuff. And uh, so th- that all stuff aside, there are things on the show that don't make a lot of sense. Like, for instance, um, you, d- <clears throat> Sarah, Jake, the two main cop characters and Danny in season two, are all police detectives. They're not beat cops, um, but they are detectives. And uh, one thing I wanted to point out is what they are wearing seems a little bit more for television. Do, cop- do detectives in real life have to wear suits and ties, and that includes women, um, do they have to wear a certain type of uniform, or are they a lot more casual dress? So it really depends on what they're doing. If they're going to go interview um, witnesses or things like that, they do tend to wear the shirt and tie or the suit. Uh, the females usually wear, you know, the, the pantsuit or something like that. Um, but if showing up at a scene for the initial uh, investigation um, a lot of times it's because they're on call, and they usually, you know, they'll show up wearing, you know, khakis and a polo. Um, they don't really dress down like you would think, like some of these other shows portray detectives, you know. It, it really depends on what their 
what they're responding to and what their kind of speciality is. Like, for instance, Sarah where is basically a midriff girl through most of the show. <laughs> like, her belly button couldn't be more seen than any other part of her body, uh, just yeah, to be yeah. like, look, she has the flattest abs. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely would not happen. Uh, you would definitely be, not be seeing uh, <laughs> any of that. It'd be it, okay, so the, in the pilot episode, which is retconned in the season two pilot, uh, Danny and Sarah go in after a guy that Sarah believes is the murderer. On top of not only is he a murderer of one of her closest friends from childhood, but he's also a known notorious gangster. He has a bunch of his thugs with him, and he's uh, connected to a whole bunch of other bad stuff as well. And they go in after her, after him. No backup. Danny gets shot and killed. Of course, in the retcon, he she stops them from doing that and says, "We all have we we'll we'll do it another time because she's having a premonition of something that happened in the previous timeline." Would a, a detective would not just go in after a perp with his bodyguards all around him without any kind of backup? Correct. Correct. That's uh, something else. Um, you know, there are those times where you show up and not expecting you know for uh just a basic interview or something like that and things can go south and and you know you may have to react but if you know you're going after a murderer or something like that uh you're not <laughs> if you have a if you have an arrest warrant for that person you're probably going to have like a specialty unit like a a violent fugitive unit or even a SWAT team if they are a gangster and they have access to those types of weapons, you may have something like that to help you with the arrest. Now, do detectives uh, manage a SWAT team, or is that a separate entire department? No, to totally separate. Um, they'd have to request it, and they basically just give a quick uh, rundown of like what what they needed for, and then uh, the, like the the duty officer would make the determination and 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 call them out. Would a detective allow, be allowed to get into a firefight in the middle of a museum that causes the museum to explode and then go back to work the next day? Of course not. Okay. Because <laughs> that happens twice to Sarah. She, she gets into a firefight. No, uh, police-involved shootings are actually pretty rare. Yeah. Um, and something that always happens in these shows is they just these constant firefights where, you know, uh, a, a typical police officer might carry the one magazine and his weapon along with two extras at maximum and they're just shooting back and forth and there's people running you know if you're gonna if you're gonna start firing a weapon you have to be aware of uh not just your target but of what's beyond it because you don't want to try to shoot a bad guy and hit some poor kid or something you know Thankfully, the museum is actually deserted, um, so that's that's good. Both times the museum is deserted, but Sarah definitely accidentally kills or or intentionally kills the person she's after. And that's one of those things too that if something like that did happen, where you, you couldn't really justify your actions. No, and that's the thing. She can't justify her actions because they find traces of the metal connected to the witchblade, and they can't identify the metal on the periodic tables whatsoever. And her explanation is just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> The, uh, the, 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 there's another scene in an episode that we were absolutely flabbergasted about. She, they have the perp tied, the, the suspect tied down. He's being lowered into, a, into an ambulance. Then he, get, he grabs, I think, Jake's gun, right, Mr. Zeneca? 
I believe it was Jake. Okay, yeah. so he grabs... He turns, grabs the Jake out, grabs the gun out of the holster, and then starts to aim it. And then and Sarah, Sarah kills him. And puts him down. Yeah. Another very popular scene in a lot of the police movies at the end of the of the movie after the bad guy's been captured. That last final stand where the bad guy you think is going to get away with it because he's actually alive. And then they do something like that. Um, weapon retention. A lot of the holsters are um, retention holsters. So that means you got to push something in or turn something to be able to draw it out. Uh-huh. So, I mean, even the detective... So someone just couldn't really just grab the gun just willy-nilly? No, no. They, in worst case, if they, even the detective, if they, like, grabbed the weapon and tried to pull it out, the whole holster may come off with it. But you still, I don't think, be able to manipulate the trigger to pull it. Um, mm. Unless you are one of those, there are criminals that... Um, have expertise in taking weapons away from people and do things like that, that, you know, that's one of the things that happens when they go to prison. It becomes a schoolroom for criminals, and they teach each other these things. Hey, this is how retention holsters, how to get a weapon out of a holster and things like that. So possible, but retention holsters um, are pretty standard now with every department. I heard the wire is the closest thing that the television has ever come to actual uh, detective and police work. I only ever saw the first season of The Wire, and it was many, many years ago. Great, great series that I always planned on kind of continuing. You should. Um, It's on Amazon Prime for free. I would say it's it's pretty accurate from what I remember. In in cop dramas like this, we usually see the detectives with, you know, maybe a stack of paperwork on their desk like Sarah has. Uh, but really, they're only dealing with one or two cases at a time. How many cases are detectives actually in charge of? Having never been a detective, um, I wouldn't really know. But I, tell you, I, I do know for a fact that it, it, it's probably in the 30 range. And it re- everything depends. So detectives get called out for unattended deaths. So that means that somebody passes away at their house does not... Uh, there's no, um, you know, homicide or anything like that, whether they're elderly or it's a suicide or something like that. A detective still has to go out and kind of do their initial report to make sure that it's not one of those things. The paperwork for that alone is still um, pretty overwhelming, and that's a regular occurrence. The things are that you kind of see on TV where there are all these murders and all these rapes and all these things there, not as uh, they're not all happening all at the same time. So I have a friend who's a detective. He's been a detective now for six months, and he still hasn't covered his first homicide. Obviously, you go to a place like um, maybe Chicago, and that's obviously very different. Mm-hmm. They're a lot busier. Um, so it really depends, I guess, probably where you work. But, uh, yeah, the, it really – it's almost as they, – they go in order. If there's ten detectives – they just go in order. You you got this one. The next one comes up, goes to this guy. The next one goes to the next guy. If it's really busy, you could end up with a pretty uh, hefty caseload. Is there any sort of uh, preferential treatment given to, um, you know, rising star officers? They can get these cases, or is it just automatic, the next one that comes up? So, um, at least for my department, it's seniority-based. They want you to kind of get your experience on how the paperwork works and the procedures and things like that before they will hand you, you know, a homicide investigation. So you, 
it, it, there are those times where you could work as a detective for nine months a year and they have you covering the unattended deaths, um, you know, maybe some burglaries, maybe um, things like that, kind of the small stuff so that you get an idea how the procedures work, how the paperwork works, and then, you know, they might put you into the pecking order for the, the bigger crimes. Okay. All right. So Jake actually following around Sarah for, you know, however many months, that's pretty common for you to, for someone to just not have the cases on their own for a while. Yeah, you, you th it's very uh, common, too, for there to be a senior officer and a junior officer working together and kind of showing them the ropes, and people come, you know, right out of work in the road and become a detective. Uh, there's not a really a school, per se, that they can go to to learn a lot of these things, they have to learn it on the job. So they they are mentored uh, by senior officers that have been doing it for a while. Here's, but here's another thing about Jake that's very unusual. Would, a, would somebody who was once a former medalist uh, surfer for the Olympics become a police officer? That's tough to say. Um because that's what Jake is. He's a surfer guy. He is a he is a pro surfer. In fact, he was going to go to the Olympics, except for he had an injury which sidelined him. And I have to question: Wouldn't an injury that would sideline you as a surfer, which is extremely dangerous, and I think almost as dangerous as being a police officer, because you're going as a police officer, you have protection. There's procedures that can protect you from getting into danger. But a wave is an act of God that could kill you. <laughs> right. I guess really anybody. At any point in their life, I mean, there are a lot of um, age restrictions. Um, a lot of the departments in New England are like 36 is the cutoff, so um, you need to be hired before you turn 36. Uh, but you, you, you take a, a written test, and then if there's a department hires you based on your score there, well, I shouldn't say they hire you based on your score. They'll interview based on those the higher scores. Um, do background investigations on you, pick the you know the the eligible candidate uh, to be hired. Just because he surfed, uh, does it, as long as he wasn't uh, didn't have anything on his record and did well on the written exam and then did well on the uh, oral exam, uh, the oral boards they do like an interview and things like that. Then I guess he he could. Uh, as far as the physical part, you do have to um, pass a physical test. So. Maybe his he, there's something that you know a specific thing that he can't do for surfing, but physically he could still do the job as a police officer. Uh, a lot of veterans become police officers, and they're they've got disability ratings from the military, but it doesn't preclude them from being able to do their job as a police officer. And Jake is also a FBI agent undercover in the New York City Police uh, to uncover corruption and stuff, um, and you know, all sorts of bad vigilante cop stuff. Like, uh, what, what's the name of the organization that uh, Sarah's boss is part the of? The White Bull. The White the Bull. The White Bulls. Yeah, they're basically, they're cops, but they're also cops that are letting, you know, prostitution, drugs, they basically want to run New York City themselves. Yeah, the, the, the police force of the past is a lot different than the police force uh, nowadays. I'm sure as you, you know, have seen the corruption and the different treatment by police officers or the way they're treated by certain people being given free things and to kind of turn turn the cheek. That stuff used to happen back in the day. Um, there's a lot more supervision and things now that 
it's uh I'm sure it still exists but it's not it's not like it was uh you know 20 30 years ago uh technology you know you can't you can't really do anything everybody's got a cell phone camera nowadays uh, oh, speaking about that, we see a lot in the television dramas, especially in Witchblade, police brutality, where they're trying to get information out of someone and either the, they're beating up the person or just being brutal in some sort of fashion. Where is the line on what a cop can do to someone trying to get information on the street? Yeah, so you can't do anything like that. If they... If, if you catch a guy maybe with some drugs on them, you can say, hey, listen, if you give me information, then I can maybe have, you know, the district attorney work with you on this or, but th that's really it. You might have some leeway of how you charge them for a crime that you already caught them for, but yeah, you can't physically do anything. If it, It's the same if you call somebody in and, you know, you want to ask some questions and they just refuse to talk. There's almost not, there's nothing you can do. You just got to uh, kind of bite your tongue and just try to build up the evidence you can to use against them. Sarah goes to a uh, antique dealer a lot for information about uh, citywide crime as well as stuff to do with the Witchblade. But uh, how often do the police use informants involved in certain um, aspects of business, whether it be retail, banking, or financial, um, entertainment, um, you know, any any kind of you know informant involved and in connected to the into the city that they're not privy to. Yeah, the informants are used a lot. Um, a lot of it is along the same type of lines of, hey, uh, I caught you with this before, and you gave me some information, and we developed that rapport, and now, you know, you'll if you know something's going on or something that can help me, you'll you'll contact me and. Maybe it'll shorten your probation period for the thing that I caught you before. Um, there are also paid informants as well. You know, the, they'll they'll actually get paid if their information uh, pans out. So if if you got a guy that is uh, involved in the drug, uh, you know, in drugs, and and they get some info um, that actually leads to an arrest, and the info is legit, they actually can get paid. Would you tell a person that it's better to? Uh, not say anything and to just contact their lawyers in case they, they did do something wrong? Or is it best to just keep your head and keep calm and keep your hands where everyone can see them type of thing? Oh, yeah. What, what's the I, best I always, way to deal with the police? Uh, a lot of things, um, you know, that they get stopped for, they're, you know, if, if I stop somebody for speeding, um, I already, you know, know what they did. Their reaction a lot of the time can kind of will dictate the action that I'm going to take against them. If someone's polite, apologetic, uh, cooperative, they might drive away with a warning. On the other hand, if they want to not put their window down and uh, not cooperate, it can escalate from something from a civil speeding ticket to a arrest for failure to provide the required documentation. So the best thing is just to be polite. Maybe know, know your rights, though, you know, you have to give them, you know, your license registration if they ask, if you're stopped for an offense. If you have nothing to hide, then there's really no harm in, in giving them that info. Mm -hmm. If they're like, oh, can I search your car? <clears throat> and you really don't want them to, then you can just say, no, you don't have to give a reason or whatever. You know, they still have to follow procedures as well. But the, the best thing is if you have nothing to hide and you know, you know, there's nothing going on, just 
let them do their job and it'll get you out of there quicker and um, that's my recommendation it, it seems like the people who always want to kind of play roadside lawyer are always the ones that escalate something to the point where it doesn't need to does that yeah. kind of answer your question? I think so how much of your job is actually just filing out paperwork? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so for if you criminally summon somebody you have to do a report if you arrest them you have to fingerprint them photograph them do a report. So crashes require reports. Pretty much everything requires some form of paperwork, but it really depends on what happened. If uh, a quick, if somebody's driving without a license, to bang out that report is could take 10 minutes. A crash report can take 10 minutes. If it's a very involved crash, it can take a while. So it really depends on what what you're doing it for. OUI arrests, those reports are very long because there's a lot of field sobriety tests and things that you got to put in there. Those reports can take a couple hours. So it really depends on what, what you're doing the report for, but there is a lot of paperwork. Okay. I think that was the thing on, uh, what was the uh, Showtime series called? True Detective? That's the stuff that they uh, really like nailed was all that, all the uh, all the paperwork stuff. They said they nailed perfectly on that show. Yeah, yeah. They a lot of those reports... They show all the action, but then don't show the paperwork. <laughs> yeah, it, very true, very true. Yeah, the paperwork is not very, um, it's not a lot of glory uh, in the paperwork. How would this scene play out exactly if, uh, hold on, I want to, okay, I want to, if you can't hear this, Ken, that's fine. I will just repeat to you what's happening in the scene. But this is one of my favorite, most ridiculous scenes ever when the police bring information to somebody that's due on and they try to get out of it. 25 unpaid parking tickets, we have a warrant for your arrest. 25? What 25? What? 25 unpaid parking tickets, sir? I, I, I pay my tickets. I pay, I pay all my tickets. Sir. Do you own a black Mercedes-Benz license plate number CRL 507? 507? That's my wife's car. That's not my car. That's my wife's car. Yeah, I mean, tickets. it's under my name, but it's my wife's car. No, no, no. Bitch! Tickets have not been paid. That means you're liable. Can you cuff Mr. Bernstein, please? Cuff me! Mr. There are Bernstein. people out there with chainsaws. You're cuffing me. Well, sir, you have 25 unpaid parking tickets, and it's your car, so we have to take you in. Wait a second. I've got an idea. Is there something that I have in this office that I could hand to you and that would make you kind of forget that you're holding those uh, little pink tickets there? What are you trying to say, sir? I like you'd be holding something in that hand, and this hand you'd forget about. This hand you'd be concentrating on. That hand you'd go, what? What did I have there? I don't even remember. Oh, you mean like if I had um, $200 in this hand? Ouch! Let go of my up two hundred dollars. Ouch! Please, I'm robbing you. That's what I'm doing. Here's one. Here's two. They're real free. Yeah, I'm gonna have to use your uh, computer because I have to wipe all, all evidence of this transaction out. You know. No problem. No problem at all. Thank you. There's a scene from Beverly Hills Cop 2 where they come to Gilbert Godfrey's character with 25 unpaid parking tickets. And then, of course, Axel Foley, who's the most ridiculous cop ever, uses the guy's own computer to wipe out the parking tickets, which I don't think you could even do, even in 1980-whatever this movie came out. Especially now that most of the departments have gotten away from the actual paper tickets. It's all electronic, so the second you hit submit, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> there's no way to there's no way to fix it. It's not like the olden days where if it's a paper ticket you could uh you know, maybe uh do something about it before it was too late. But now it, everything's electronic, so the tickets uh once you hit submit, that's it, it's gone. It's it's already at the registry. Oh jeez. <laughs> That's too bad. I think we're going. Uh, I, I think because we're in uh, COVID nineteen right now, there's been a 
there was something uh, there was some news bulletin on one of the states of New England's websites about uh, there is a lax in your parking tickets, minor, and we're talking minor, 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 minor traffic violations. Not speeding, not drunken driving, but like uh, sticker yeah. tickets and stuff like that. If you don't pay them on time because of COVID-19 going on and quarantine and money not being available or not being able to get to the uh, registry or not being able to get to the inspection stake, and you've been given an extra couple months, I heard. I don't know for sure. I gotta so research the, that oh, report. The courts aren't really open. Uh, they're open for criminal proceedings, but parking tickets and speeding tickets and things like that, those are considered civil citations. Right. So uh, the courthouses are not open for those appeals. So people are getting a little bit extra time to figure that stuff out. And same with the registry of motor vehicles. Uh, a lot of them uh, weren't open for a while. So right. um, we're giving people a lot of extra time. And you and, can't. And they're also, and if you the can't, amount of enforcement has gone down. People are having to stay home. and so. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, if your sticker's out of date on your car. Right. They're, they're, right. Like a lot of garages are closed, and they're only taking appointments, and those appointments are already booked already weeks in advance. I think in a couple states in New England. You're getting right. a couple extra months to get your sticker renewed if you don't have it renewed by the end of the month, especially if you're trapped in quarantine for the state. So right. that was something interesting. And then, of course, I saw – I don't know if you got that blip I sent you on on uh, online about the uh, – Miami had the first time since 1957 they had not had a gun-related death, a criminal offense. Wow. Since 1957, they reported for the first time one entire month not one gun-related uh, crime, shooting, uh, death. Even criminals, they're, st they're not going out as much as they usually do either. So a lot of that stuff has dropped, like uh, car crashes have uh, dropped drastically. Right. Uh, things like that, because people aren't driving. Uh, car deaths, OUI, uh, I'm sure, probably completely dropped off. Um there was Things a, like that. Uh, there was a funny. But, there was a funny gift saying that you could sneeze into your hand and rob a bank with it. <laughs> <laughs> Not to give anybody any ideas. I'm just. I'm just pointing out saying that basically the fear of COVID-19 could let you knock over a liquor store these days. The things that are going to start to increase are the um, domestic violence and you know things to do with kids like child abuse and things. Cause yeah. Now, Parents are stuck at home, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, husband, wives are all, they're trapped together at home and they're wearing on each other. And so those things are starting to increase. Oh, that's uh, too bad. That's a shame. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Sinek, I don't have any other questions for Ken, unless you did. I think that was pretty much it. Cool. Ken, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to us a little bit about uh, police procedures and actual correct information versus what fantasy TV movies come up with. I really do appreciate it. I do hope you stay safe out there in this quarantine epidemic that we're living in. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. There was another great gif I saw. There was a guy pulled over, and he holds up a sign saying, I can't roll down my window. I have COVID-19. <laughs> I would have him hold his license up to the window. Again, it's all electronic, so all I just need his license number. <laughs> That's good. We don't need to talk. Just, hold, just, just show me your license and registration to the window. <laughs> also, why the hell are you not in quarantine? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again for having me on. And we're also, of course, recording this the day before. May the 4th be with you, Ken. Oh, uh, May the 4th be with you as well. Thank you so much, Ken. Again, stay safe out there. Thank you for everything Thank you do. You.
Have a good night. You too. Good night. Okay, Ken, you can just hang up the call, then I'll message you on Facebook afterwards. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, dude. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with the episode plot synopsis for Season 2 on the Dead TV Podcast. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. You take out the trash. I don't have time for that now. We have two podcasts I have to create a new promo for. What? Both JLU cast and Supermates? Yes. JLU cast where you and I discuss the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series from Bruce Timm and Company. And Supermates, our original show where we talk about all sorts of geeky stuff, including our annual House of Frankenstein series on classic horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. But how do we combine this into one promo? I have no idea, but it sounds like we're doing our original Supermates promo all over again. I kind of think we are, but hey, other folks kind of aped it, so it must have worked. Well, why don't you get to work taking out the trash, and I'll finish up. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. On JLU Cast and Supermates, both proudly part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, found at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. Attention, attention all personnel. New from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, it's MASHCAST. Hosted by MASH megafan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHCAST analyzes episode by episode the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHCAST on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Jack Hilarity, Jack Hilarity. And we're back with season two of Witchblade, and Mr. Zeneca has the plot synopsis for us. The first episode of season two, Emergence, originally aired June 16, 2002. Time resets, and Sarah and Danny are at the Rialto. But Sarah turns away, causing great annoyance in Irons, who wanted the Witchblade to bond with her through shedding blood. So he decides to find a new woman to wield the blade, and sets a murderous plot in motion to make it all happen. Cam girls can't be the bearers of truth and justice in the Witchblade universe. Yeah. That was kind of interesting that she was a cam girl producer. Cam girl producer, yeah. The the bad girl of this episode. Yes, because sex work equals being a bad girl. Of course, she is a bad girl. She, she, She got her boss killed, so her comeuppance... Are, are justified, in my opinion. Um, she, she's she's not a good person. She's not like uh, Debbie, who has a happy ending. I, I like that. I like how Debbie comes back to Dad. That was very sweet. Yeah. See, that, was, that She could have gotten killed, but she didn't. That was a tearful reunion that would have made me cry. If I had watched that episode when my father had died, uh, let's say my father died when that episode came out originally or whatever, oh, that would have killed me. That would have killed me. Because that was a tearful, oh, happy yeah. reunion. He's drinking. He's an alcoholic. You know, he beat the crap out of her boyfriend because of, you know, the shit that she's involved in or whatever. 
Uh, but we'll we'll get there. The reason why I played Black Sabbath's Paranoid is because the fight scene between Sarah and the other guy, that is what's played, actually, during the original broadcast. And you got to admit, that song would would have fit that fight perfectly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, as soon as, like, she's done, as soon as she's done, like, wrapping up her gloves and you hear the bell ring, the bell rings in the song. And then they immediately start cutting to, you know, with the, the Paranoid music. And, and it's perfect. Ever since, you know, the end of the last season, we get that character, Lazar, and uh, since he is credited in every single episode, I actually took a look at some previous episodes to try to find the Where's Waldo of Lazar, and turns out there's actually a YouTube video where you can see all of the season one Lazar scenes. It's actually in a very, very tiny little video by a YouTuber called Dead Penguin, D-E-H Penguin, and it only has 574 views, but it's just simply named Lazar, and you can see him right from the beginning, like he point blank asks... Sarah, if she was okay in that first episode, which we rewatched for this podcast, and uh, every episode he's either in the background or Sarah actually does a, you know, a double take at him. Yeah, inter- yeah, I, I, uh, I haven't seen that video, so please show it to me, or also post it on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page as well, because that's quite interesting. But I rewatched the pilot as well. But uh, sorry, not the pilot. I rewatched the TV movie because um, this basically is one of the few episodes that will mirror things that happened previously. Now, do you think they reshot the footage where Sarah confronts um, the crime boss and then chases after the guy into the museum? It looked like it was a mixture of new footage and old footage. Okay. Uh, it seemed like the, like the, the certain scenes as they're running through the museum were exactly the same. Possibly. Yes. You know, in the in the in the boxing scene, like she is really going after it in that in that scene. I mean, it, that is oh, that that's a good boxing scene right there. How they shot that, I don't know. There's not a lot of information about behind the scenes stuff with Witchblade. I would yeah. love to find out if, how they shot that because she takes some pretty heavy blows. You know what I mean? And she still looks insanely fit, but in certain times she she looks a little off, like she's. You can you can actually see Lazar in that boxing scene connection. as one of the bystanders. Right, definitely, you definitely see that. So I'm wondering how much of a shift through the season we get. They stop, Sarah, we pick up right for the end of season one, where Sarah stops Danny from going into the Rialto Theater and stopping Gallo. She makes a comment about uh, Danny's haircut and how he desperately needs one. At Supercuts, it's $8. I went online to look up a Supercut haircut, it's $21 right now. Before, after, and during the pandemic right now, Supercuts' website lists their regular haircut for men at $21. Inflation. Now we've time-traveled back in time, we are back in the year 2000. Got it. Yes. And only a couple months passed from the the made-for-TV movie to the beginning of season one. In this episode, there's a lot of deja vu moments where all the characters kind of get back their memories. The date of the episode, by the way, is listed in Gabriel's research of the Witchblade. Did you notice that? The the date of the episode? The date of November the... November 11th? Yes, November 11th, 2000. Yes, that was the, the prophesied date and also her birthday. Right, exactly. I also try to do a runoff of what female-powered shows were on prior to this. We had Wonder Woman, Bionic Woman, Charlie's Angels, Xena, Buffy, and then Witchblade. Did I miss anybody, or was that it, pretty much, through from the 70s all the way up into the early 2000s? Oh, I don't know, but that's pretty close. I think we also would have, at this point in 2000s, we would have uh, Treasure Hunter with uh, Tia Carrera. I, I think that's the name of the show, Treasure Hunter. She was like a 
hot midriff showing archaeologist adventure babe, very akin to Laura Croft. We also have Cleopatra 2029, which was like in the future with uh, Gina Torres before she would be on uh, Firefly. I'm trying to think if that was it for now, because then later, oh, La Femme Nikita. I, I left La Femme Nikita out, because I think La Femme Nikita was on in the 90s as well. Oh, yeah, that was a good show. And it was based on a movie. Um, and then they did a revival of La Femme Nikita with uh, Maggie, Maggie Q, which was okay. I only watched the first episode. In this timeline, because Sarah doesn't kill any of those mobsters at the Rialto, the Witchblade hasn't technically bonded to her, and uh, so Kenneth Irons just wants the Witchblade back, back because he's got a new person to actually have it on, and her name is Christina Wales, the uh, BDSM slash dancing cam girl producer. Yes, I saw this scene with the BDSM, and I said, this is a typical Saturday night for Mr. Zeneca. Well, not so much, because what they were looking at is a BDSM show. It's not an interactive BDSM experience, and that's what I do. Oh, okay, interactive sorry. Interactive BDSM experiences. Right, right, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I love the fact that Danny compares Sarah to a Jack Russell Terrier tracking a sewer rat when it comes to Gallo. <laughs> Which is 100% true. She is like a bloodhound tracking a sewer rat because she is a detective. The bloodhounds track stuff. She tracks stuff. And, you know, uh, comparing the uh, mafioso to a sewer rat is pretty accurate. Yeah. And we also get a little bit additional information about the museum piece that she wears, uh, that it wasn't actually officially listed as a museum piece. So her associate at the department lab that was taking a look at the Witchblade uh, basically said it didn't belong to the museum. But when Ian Nottingham comes and confronts her with it, saying that it's Kenneth Irons' thing, give it back, she says, no, it's hers. Uh, finders keepers. Yeah, finders keepers. How we're introduced to the cam girl scene is Debbie is doing a strip show for Gabriel's friend while he's at work uh, masturbating to a cam show. Or we're assuming he is. Or getting ready to, because it's kind of gross, it, no matter how you look at it. Yeah, and that is also the same actor from Harold and Kumar's uh, Go to White Castle is as it? the pot dealer. He is, yes. He looks like a pot dealer. Uh, the name of the episode is Emergence. Is, is she emerging from the timeline? Is that what it's supposed to mean? Well, Emergence is basically about the process of coming into view after something being concealed. And so when we did the time jump, the actual timeline itself was concealed from the characters for a brief moment in time. And then as this episode went on, each of the characters started remembering these past timelines and, like, dreams and visions. So it was emerging into the idea that this had happened before. The cam girl that is being watched, Debbie, played by Leah Renee, um, there are some amazingly, incredibly sexy pictures of her as a Playboy bunny for the canceled TV series, The Playboy Club. I I don't think we're going to be watching that one, but I might have to do my own research about this about about her dressed up as a Playboy buddy. I can't imagine why the Playboy Club would not work on mainstream television like NBC. Can you, Mr. Zeneca? Uh, it's maybe just too hot for TV. Ah ha ha! I totally think a Playboy television series behind the scenes about the Playboy industry would work. But I'm sorry, you're going to tune into a television series about Playboy. You're going to want to see some naked boobies all the time in every episode. You'd have to do it on HBO, Netflix, Amazon Prime. I totally think a, a Playboy television series would totally work. You know what I mean? 
like a, a biography about the inner workings of being a Playboy model or Playboy bunny during the heyday of Playboy with Hugh Hefner. I, I, say, I would yeah. watch that. Wouldn't you watch that? Yeah, I'd watch that. I mean, as long as they kept it realistic in some way. But also, come on, you're tuning into a show about Playboy. You want to see what? <laughs> well, lots of hot, hot girls. Lots yeah. of hot girls. Lots of naked breasts. Um, so she was on that show. She's still working today. She's she's in some she was she's been in stuff. Uh, the actress who plays Christina, the evil woman who wants the Witchblade, uh, who is just so freaking hot in this episode, but she uh, she doesn't get ahead, does she? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah, she gets decapitated in she this episode. Is, she is decapitated pretty badly. <laughs> but you'll more likely recognize her in Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Eliza Minnick. Yeah, definitely. And she was also in um, Get Smart's Bruce and Lloyd. And she was in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. She's been on Criminal Minds, Brothers and Sisters, Heist, correct? Um, she was also Anna the Nanny in The Help. She is absolutely stunning. And then we have... Uh, hold on. i got to go back Joe to... Joe Butler. No, well, hold on. This actress does not have the c- character credited to her name. There's a woman in the show, in this episode, called J- uh, Jean Yoon. Who the hell is she playing? There's no character attached to her name. Is she Danny's wife? Oh, uh, yes, that's Danny's wife. She gives a mean look over to um, to Sarah in one of the flashback visions. Right, so because she, she blames Sarah for the mean... death of her husband. Exactly. Okay, she's still working today. She was on Kim's Convenience. I don't know what this show is. It's about a convenience store run by... I'm believing Asian Americans. It ran from 2016 to 2020, so 52 episodes. This looks like something I would watch. The misadventure. Oh, it, 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 exactly what it is. The misadventures of a Korean Canadian family running a convenience store. This is basically Asian clerks. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it beyond Asian clerks. Just clerks with Asian people instead of Canadians or Americans, oh. because. Clerks and Clerks 2 was two white guys. What, what was the Kevin Smith's daughter movie called? Yoga Hosers. Was two teenage girls from Canada, and he plans on doing a sequel for them. And then you have this. I would totally watch this show. Are you kidding me? That would be awesome. I've never heard of it. What, what channel is this show on? I don't know. It's got great reviews. They said it's an intellectual tour de force akin to Kevin Smith's Clerks. It was it was Canadian television, Canadian broadcasting, uh, Canadian TV. So I'm assuming it's probably on a streaming channel somewhere. But I would watch the hell out of this. Are you kidding me? We also see the dad, Joe Butler. Oh, yeah. Uh, By the way, I also remember her. She got down and very kissy-kissy lesbian with uh, some of her other characters on Orphan Black. Did you ever watch Orphan Black? I have not, no. Let me strike my comment. Orphan Black was... Uh, not the show I thought it was. What's the show where the chick is the succubus and she has to have, like, sex with people to survive? And it ran for, like, five years. It was really popular in the LGBT community because she had a uh, male and female lovers. You know, I'm drawing a blank on that one. Lost Girl. Very popular. Very insanely popular. Orphan Black is about clones. I had my two shows mixed up. They were on the, basically at the same time. So we, Joe Butler, the dad, this was actually his last uh, acting role. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, again, I, I like the reunion between the two characters, um, uh, between her, her father. Sarah goes to visit him. You know, he brought up the boyfriend. Uh, Christina got the boyfriend killed. Christina's working with Ken's Irons. I do, what's the, uh, what is the most relevant line in the episode to today's 
modern political nonsense, Mr. Seneca. Best line? And you were destined to die naked, middle-aged, and covered in your own piss? That one? No. I didn't, was that in this episode? That was in this episode, yes. No, it's the fact that Kenneth Irons owns all of the real estate in New York that Donald Trump doesn't. I didn't take note of that quote because I didn't find it as interesting as being covered in piss. Okay, so there's a TV series I'm currently watching called Nightman. It's based on a very obscure Marvel comic book character who Marvel never uses because it's from an acquisition of a company they absorbed, and the only thing they've ever turned into media from it has been Men in Black, um, Malibu comic books. And Donald Trump makes three appearances on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it looks like he is photoshopped into every episode he's in. Wow. Yeah. Because one person poses as Donald Trump, and they never say his name, but they're like, "Are you? Are you who? Are you him?" And he's like, "Yes, I am." <laughs> ah. Yeah. So this is an early two. This is a late '90s uh, Donald Trump, prior to The Apprentice and becoming president of the United States. After Christina and uh, Ian do this kind of naughty, you serve me, you'll be my slave type of type of the last line he says, are you ready to put another body in the box? And I thought that was just a brilliant double entendre. Uh, they're about to do it. It's funny that they're buying warehouses up for their cam girl club. This kind of reminds me of that kink website. The kink website also has like warehouses they use for their uh, kink settings, or they did. I think they've gone out of business since then. Uh, an interesting note, though, the location of the warehouse that holds all those creepy mannequins, 1111 Faust Street. Well, uh, because everything is tied to November 11th, that's where the 1111 came from. And Faust is basically like a very, very famous German legend based on Johann George Faust from 1480 to 1540, a real person. The legend was that it was a deal with the devil in exchange for power, knowledge, pleasure, and would include the surrender of all morals, you know, for this. So that's literally talking about Christina herself. Like she wants the power of the Witchblade, and her morals are very lacking. I thought very interesting. So Sarah decapitates this uh, the cam the uh, cam girl producer, um, and uh, just before that happens, as she's also fighting Ian Nottingham for control of the Witchblade, uh, uh, Danny walking down the street twirling a pizza box, which has the most generic non-name pizza on it whatsoever. There's not even like a logo where he's getting it from. Did you notice that? It's just a blank canvas pizza box. Oh, I didn't notice that one. He gets kidnapped by Irons and the woman as they're pretending to do a mugging, and then he is buried alive, and that's how the episode ends. Sarah remembering Danny dying, and the episode ends with Danny in the dirt doing his best impersonation of Ryan Reynolds from Buried. Yeah, and, and cliffhanger to wait, you know... If we were doing two episodes, this wouldn't be a cliffhanger episode, but we're going to have to leave it all there for you guys. Yeah, that's uh, that's it. That's how it ends uh, for the uh, premiere of Season 2 of Witchblade. It's kind of a bit of a repeat of previous stuff, but that's fine because that's what they're supposed to be setting up, that uh, Sarah's actions have consequences, as we will see through the rest of this season with other characters that have come into Sarah's life. And her confrontation with Kenneth Irons happens immediately in the next episode, by the way. We're not waiting until the end of the season to deal with Ken or Kenneth Irons shenanigans either. That's also good. <laughs> there are a couple plot lines I don't remember if they ever get back to resolving, like the White Bulls. I don't think that gets resolved whatsoever. I'm not 100% certain, but again, they were supposed to go into a third season, so who knows? 
that's all the notes I have here for this episode. Any technical glitches I haven't edited out, I do apologize. We seem to have had some seriously bad internet connection stuff, so if you hear anything on the audio, please forgive me. I will... Do you have any other notes for this episode? No, that was it. All right, tune back in in two weeks as we will do two episodes of Witchblade, and we'll be on with the rest of the Witchblade until the end of Season 2. And we will do a special episode. The final episode will also talk about... Uh, we're not going to do an entire separate episode for this. But we will mention the anime and talk a little bit about the anime cartoon series. Mr. Seneca can find the episodes probably online. I have the Blu-ray for the anime show. Then we will be switching over to War of the Worlds. Don't forget you can also email us at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. You can also leave a uh, review on iTunes for us. That was the other thing I wanted to get to, so I got to do. We have a new review uh, by Ron Long John. It says I love this one. They go through so many of my favorite shows. I can't get over all the different series that go they go through. Many forgotten ones. It's fantastic, and that's one review. We also have some reviews from uh, other foreign countries that were sent to me, which is fantastic. But they cool. do not show up on the podcast.apple.com US podcast sheet so every country has their own itunes i didn't know that i should yes, have ass- i should have assumed that it- other countries actually do learn english too you know i i'm aware of that <laughs> i do know that apple devices like computers like playstations like dvds like cds are encoded to specific regions do we do you have access to the reviews could you uh Not, read us off? I, I would have to i would have to look them up so i just wanted to read this one new review off of the uh the the uh, the page uh, we've had reviews that don't leave ratings because we have 17 reviews on iTunes but not all of them have a comment tune back in in two weeks for the next two episodes of Witchblade the TV series on the Dead TV podcast <laughs>